are in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri for this episode of Raw Tools. Hi everyone and welcome, I'm Luke Slaybaugh. In a few minutes, Mizzou receiver J.J. Hester joins the program. Love that guy, covered him since he was a receiver in high school in historic Tulsa, Oklahoma. It is the week of Christmas. Hope you're having a happy holiday season, not spending it alone. Spending time with family and friends. And it is an interesting dynamic. This this is peak regret season. You look back on the year, things you could have done better. People who went in and out of your life. And it ties pretty well into what I want to talk about first. Buck Showalter, hired as the New York Mets manager, the only big baseball move that's happened since the lockout. And I was thinking, it's hard to plan out your life in the big picture. I always fall into the trap of, and I'm sure many other people do, that I need to work in this city and have this job by age 30. I want to make this much money by the time I'm 35. I need to start my family by 35. You know, certain ages, certain milestones, it goes on and on. And it never works out that way. We often have to take the unconventional routes or think a little bit outside the box to get to where we need to go. And most times it doesn't happen on our timetable. And when I look at Buck Showalter's career, it's never gone according to plan. He's just, he's so close to hitting the jackpot, but he never does. So the Mets hired Showalter for the 2022 season, and it speaks to their belief that his best years are ahead of him. And he's 65. Uh, New York could have gone with the sexy, young hire. They could have went and gotten Carlos Beltran like they wanted to several years ago before they got Luis Rojas. Um, But there was no course correction. Beltran, of course, implicated in that Astros cheating scandal. And Showalter, believe it or not, has a 500 career record as a manager. A little bit over that, like 506. 20 seasons, made the playoffs five times. Only one a single playoff series in that time span. He took the Orioles to the 2014 ALCS. They got blown out by the Kansas City Royals. And that job in Baltimore was fantastic. I mean, that organization for my entire lifetime had been directionless, was stuck in a rebuild at the time. And Buck helped them become a contender in a really crowded AL East. Uh, the Red Sox won the World Series during that time span. The Blue Jays started flirting with contention. The Yankees were always good. I believe the Rays made the playoffs in that time span. And then Baltimore blew it up and started over again. And the fallout of that was they fired Buck after 2018. But Showalter has won pretty much everywhere he's been. Uh, The only place he didn't was with the Texas Rangers, and they were in a really weird power struggle. Front office was not putting out a consistent product. They traded A-Rod in his first season at the helm. In 1994 and 1995, during the the work stoppage, uh, he had the Yankees on the cusp of world championships. They were playing winning baseball. Uh, He was manager of the year in that shortened 1994 season. Probably could have won the World Series that year. And after the 95 season, George Steinbrenner, the owner, wants to bring him back, sign him to an extension. Only condition is 
he has to fire his hitting coach. And Showalter says no. Showalter sticks by his guy, uh, decides not to come back, and wouldn't you know it, the next season, the Yankees dynasty begins. Joe Torre, <laughs> Derek Jeter, uh, Bernie Williams, Mariano Rivera, all those guys. They win four World Series in a row. And a similar thing happens in Arizona as well. Showalter leads the brand spanking new Arizona Diamondbacks. Gets them 100 wins in one season. 2000 doesn't go as spectacularly as ownership hopes. And Buck gets fired again. 2001 comes along. Diamondbacks win the World Series. Not to take anything away from Joe Torre and Bob Brenly, who were accomplished managers and led those clubhouses and deserved those rings. However, Buck Showalter's history and baseball history looks remarkably different if he has two rings. He's a Hall of Famer at this point if he does. He might still be in New York with the Yankees if he wins that World Series. Bottom line is... Showalter is a good fit for New York because they need a stabilizing presence in that clubhouse. They need a good team guy, uh, someone who's going to learn from his mistakes as the season progresses and be a leader in that clubhouse. Mark Teixeira, who started his career under Showalter, he's going to get some Hall of Fame votes next month. He says that Showalter is the smartest man in baseball. A guy who knows how to build a franchise up from top to bottom. He says he's got a true open-door policy. He's empathetic. Uh, has a lot of time set aside to dedicate to his players. A good clubhouse guy. And Max Scherzer wanted him. The Mets prized off-season signing, former Cy Young winner. Uh, he lobbied very hard for the organization to go out and get Showalter. And his only exposure to him really was playing for the Washington Nationals, just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Baltimore. And over the course of those years that they would play that rivalry series, he liked what he saw. And Mets owner Steve Cohen pushed their GM Billy Epler to get Showalter as well. So it seems like all the stars aligned and it was meant to be. Hopefully... Showalter will bring some direction to a team that just desperately needs it. You go back to the All-Star break last season, they were in first place in their division. Just completely fell apart down the stretch. And they were making moves at the deadline, trying to be competitive in July. The fan base just deserves better. And now you've got your clubhouse guy in Showalter. You finally have a GM in Billy Epler, <laughs> as people forget... The Mets didn't have one last year. And Epler, we don't really know what kind of GM he is because he's in the shadow or he was in the shadow of Artie Moreno in L.A. Really powerful Angels owner, has a big say, a domineering presence in baseball operations, we think. So the Mets organization has focus. And that's what it has desperately lacked for a while. Sportsnet New York's Chris Williamson tweeted this weekend, Mets could win it all next year, real talk. And I know Chris gets paid to say that, to be a partner with the team. But it really makes you think this time of year, 
as we start to make New Year's resolutions, as we look back on 2021, the good times and the bad times, what we could have done better, how we can become better. Timing is really weird. It's weird in baseball and it's weird in life. But Buck's got a shot. He's 65 years old. He has believers that his best years are ahead of him. And the Mets are putting it all out on the line this season. I really respect it. Here comes J.J. Hester. My guest this week is a redshirt freshman receiver on the University of Missouri football team. He caught two touchdowns in their non-conference wins over North Texas and Southeast Missouri State. He is currently in Fort Worth, Texas, preparing for Mizzou's game against Army in the Armed Forces Bowl. It's J.J. Hester. J.J., welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing good. Fantastic. What activities are they having you do to keep you busy down there so let me start off so yesterday we flew down here you know got settled in and then the first thing we did was we just had like a lot of free time you know some players went to the stockyards of 7th street some really chill and then for tonight uh we went to this comedy show it was very funny it's called four day weekend it was very good and then after that we just got some good food after that and now it's just free time again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what style of comedy are you into really anything that'll make me laugh you know as long as i'm laughing i think i like it so it really doesn't even matter to me and you mentioned the food is good what's been the best thing you've had so far oh i haven't been able to go to too many places yet but we just left this place um do not remember the name but it was a steak place it was very good and mm. i give it eight out of ten Eight out of ten. You think about doing food reviews, chef reviews someday? I will. I definitely will. You know, I'm I'm a person who loves to eat, so I definitely will do that. Mm-hmm. Your first time in Fort Worth? Um, yes, I've been to Dallas, but Fort Worth. This is my first time. As you finish out your first full season playing with the team, how's your health doing? You know, uh, very good. You know, um, a lot of like. We had a lot of injuries early in the season and stuff. So, like, players had to step up and stuff. But overall, we're doing good. I'm doing good. So, I'm just ready to get this game with, you know. It's going to be a good game against Army. So, it's going to be very exciting. So, I'm ready. You've got Army on Wednesday in the Armed Forces Bowl. And if they run their triple option well, which they've done this season, uh, they could dominate the, the time of possession. How can your team make the most of your possessions with limited time? Um, we just got to capitalize on every chance we get. You know, like you said, we might not get a lot of chances. So every time we do get that chance, we just got to capitalize and make the most of it. What's been the key to success in capitalizing in those few opportunities and games this season? You know, just um, when it's your time, when it's your, when you get called, you just got to make the play. You know, if it's third down, we might need it. If we're in the red zone, we got to score. So just capitalize and everything will be fine. Coach Drinkwitz said the the quarterback spot is pretty open between Connor, Tyler, and Brady. And you've caught passes from both Bazelak and Tyler Macon. How does your timing and chemistry and flow vary with all of them? You know, it's different for every quarterback. But um, I've caught passes from all of them, so I pretty much, like, know their timing. And we have a good connection. So I think it's going to work out good with whoever I end up playing with. 
Have they given an indication as to who will start? No, I can't say anything. Uh, probably because I get in trouble, but I won't even say anything. I don't. I don't know. That's how I just put. It. You've got an interesting story because you committed under Coach Odom and you stuck with Coach Drinkwitz. You redshirted last season, and now this is your first full season playing. From your vantage point, what is the identity of this Missouri Tigers team? This identity, you know, we. So when I first got here, you know, we had a we went like five and five. It wasn't too good, you know, but with all the coaching changes and stuff, it was definitely hard to deal with. So like now we were just really finding ourselves, finding who we are. And, you know, I think it's going to be a good show, especially for the upcoming years. You know, everybody's getting more comfortable and stuff like I think it's going to be a good show in the upcoming years. Definitely. Everybody's, you know, finding their ways. How likely is it that you're sticking with the black and gold for 2022? Uh, it's very likely. You know, I've talked to the coaches and stuff, so it's very likely. You, your team won three out of five games to close the season. Uh, how is the momentum inside the locker room to close out the year? Um, it was definitely up. You know, in the very beginning of the season, we had a couple tough losses and stuff. And, you know, that, that could have derailed us, but everybody stuck together, kept their heads high. And it was a lot of positivity in the locker room because, you know, people feed on effective energy. So we really needed that. And like you said, that's how we closed out the last three out of five games. You mentioned that you've had some conversations with the coaching staff. You intend to stick with the team next season. Where has the staff said it sees you fitting in on this team moving forward? Um, just a uh, 50 play guy. That's what my coach is telling me. He was just telling me um, next year, just be ready because you're going to, excuse me, because you're going to get your opportunities and just be ready. So I was like, that's all I need to know. Mm -hmm. Your last catch was in early November in the Georgia game. It was a 11 yard catch. And, and since then um, you've played in games, but haven't quite picked up a, a stat or gotten a catch there on offense. How far do you have to go before you start getting into that rotation with regularity? Uh, I'm not really sure, but um, we have we have a game plan for every situation. So our coach is just really like, we want to uh, be able to do this, but we need to get this done first. So, you know, every time I won't be able to uh, get the ball, you know, it's fine. I, uh, I'll be able to deal with it. You know, we got to do what we got to do to win the game. So that's just how it is right now. Mm -hmm. How has your year and a half on campus compared with your expectations? Um, they're not where I wanted to be. You know, when I first came in, um, I didn't expect to get hurt um, first of all. You know, I expected to come in and uh, help the team, especially like our deep threat um, aspect because we really was missing that. And with Odom as well, too. Um, so that definitely didn't go as planned. But, you know, uh, I'm going to keep faith. I always got to have faith, you know. Everything isn't going to – you know, it's always God's timing, so – just whenever my time has come, I'll be ready. Mm -hmm. What, if any, nagging injuries have you had over the course of this season? Um, really just my foot injury. I had it last year that um, really set me out last year. Um, it was tough, you know, and I've been dealing with it a little bit this year. It hasn't been bothering me a lot since I've played the whole season. So I'm pretty much – I'll be ready to go for spring ball. It's good to hear. You talked to Allie Green or Caleb Evans at all about this bowl game because they played in it last year. 
Yeah, um, I talk to um, Ali all the time. You know, me and Ali are actually good friends. Um, I knew him when he was at Tulsa. So I knew him before he came over and stuff. So we talk all the time. <laughs> Did he give you any specifics or the, the circumstances surrounding that game? I know it was two different teams between Tulsa and Mississippi State, but did he tell you anything at all about how that went down? No, nah, not really. I haven't had that conversation with him yet. <laughs> I definitely will get to it now, though, that she's mentioned it. So definitely I'm going to have to ask him. Yeah, I don't remember exactly if I talked to him. I, was, I, I wanted to get him on this week, but I thought I'd – He's a senior. It's, I mean, could be his last game, but it is interesting. He ended his Tulsa career at the Armed Forces Bowl. I guess he and a Caleb did as well. Um, but yeah, that was a crazy game. If you Google it, you'll know what I'm talking about, but that's a story for another time. Um, uh, recruiting has really picked up for Mizzou. Um, just got a five-star signee in Luther Burden out of East St. Louis. Um, how encouraging is that to see that you've got reinforcements coming right behind you? No, it's very good. You know, we had some people leave and, you know, that might have uh, messed with some people's minds on the team. But we just signed a very outstanding, you know, 2020 class, 2022 class, excuse me. So, you know, with that being said, you know, that's just going to lead the way for even more, even better classes to come in. And, you know, to get those guys to get even more guys behind us to help out. So it's definitely going to be exciting. What have your interactions with Luther been, uh, if any? Um, I haven't got to meet him yet, uh, personally. Um, I've definitely seen him. He definitely looks like a stud. You know, he's definitely can help us. One of your teammates uh, who's coming in for love this week, getting a lot of All-America honors, is Tyler Beatty. Uh, in this game, he could get 2,000 scrimmage yards for the season. Didn't fumble once this season. What kind of inspiration has he been to this team? You know, um, I like to start off, you know, um, we had a conversation with the coaches and stuff. It was a team meeting. They were saying, like, um, he could have transferred and stuff uh, last year when he was behind Roundtree. And, you know, he didn't. He stuck with it. And now look at him, All-American, no fumbles, number one in, like, rushing. So, you know, it's, it's a big inspiration, you know. And just knowing him personally, being around him, it's like, dang, I know this guy, bro. He's doing this. So, it's like, I just feel like it just – puts like faith and inspiration in everybody's hearts to like go get their dreams and just go after it as hard as you can. What kind of teammate has he been? Man, he's been a leader for everybody, I feel like, but he's definitely a comedian, you know. If you need a laugh or two, he's definitely the guy to go to, you know. He's always bringing like joy around, affectious energy, you know. That's what people really need. So he's definitely a good teammate, great teammate. What kind of jokes does he tell? Uh, it's not even jokes. It's just like his mannerisms and what he does, you know, just always laughing and stuff. Just He's just goofy. So, you know, it's just like really a lot of his mannerisms and stuff. Mm -hmm. Who else in life inspires you? Um, definitely uh, my mom and my dad, especially my mom. She, you know, um, she has been at all the games since I was little. Not college games because, you know, it's a little tougher since I'm not home. But definitely my mom's and stuff, you know, my dad as well. Also, he's always texting me, asking me stuff, giving me advice and stuff. Because, like, sometimes, like, say you have, like, a bad game or something, and, like, you're not really in the mood to talk. But, like, my dad would be always be the person to knock, always talk to and stuff about. So they, those two are definitely my inspiration. Mm -hmm. Are they coming to the game Wednesday? Yes, they will be here. That's great. Well, the semester is over, and 
the season ends on Wednesday night. Uh, what are your Christmas plans? Christmas plans, go see family, go eat some good food, especially some food back home. You know, I definitely miss some of the restaurants back home. You know, just really chill with family a lot and just work out. Those are really my only two plans and then come back ready for spring ball. Mm -hmm. What do you miss about your hometown of Tulsa? Um, just being with my friends a lot, you know, I feel like it was like never a dull moment. We was always having fun and just being like close to everybody. Mm -hmm. One of your good friends, Xavion Morrison left Nebraska. And I guess I lost this in the shuffle around Thanksgiving, but he committed to Kansas. Uh, how much were you in his ear or, or guiding him along the way as he went through that transition? I told him I was with him all the way, you know, at the end of the day, you know, everybody has their own dreams and aspirations. So you got to really do what's best for you. And he felt that it was best to uh, leave Nebraska and go somewhere else. So I was behind him hundred percent. And for you, what are your dreams and aspirations moving forward? Dreams and aspirations. Now I really have a lot, but I just want to be able to do everything and all I can for this team, you know, definitely bring this team up more. You know, we were six and six, we made a ball game, which everybody's happy, but I feel like we could do better. You know, I just want to do anything I can to help this team win even more games. What can you bring in 2022 and beyond to help you get where you need to go? 2022, just be expecting, you know, a lot of touchdowns. I feel like a lot of deep threat, you know, we didn't really have that for the past couple of years. We was missing that. And so I feel like next year is definitely going to be a big emphasis with, um, uh, Tyler Beatty gone, but we also have good running backs too, but definitely expecting a lot of the throwing, a lot of touchdowns and a lot of excitement. That was so great. I remember the touchdown against SEMO and you just broke loose for what, 65 yards. Yeah. yeah. 65 yards. And just the, the, the peak speed. I think there was some, stats analytics graphic that had you going like 22 miles an hour peak speed and it really gave mizzou fans kind of a preview of what could happen if, if you broke loose how do you get to that next level just work hard put my head down you know block out all the noise and stuff and just go to work you know uh because like i feel like you can't deny hard work like if somebody works for something you can't deny that so whatever you do is going to come to the light so just keep working how difficult was the adjustment to SEC games? Um, well, coming out of high school, you know, or you know, you had to you gotta live more, you gotta be on your nutrition more, definitely drinking a lot of water more and all that. You know, I didn't have those three things coming in, so it was definitely a tough time trying to get adjusted to that. But um I feel like after um I got hurt, you know, it gave me the time I needed to um really step up on all that you know i got bigger in the weight room i started getting more focused on my nutrition and hydration and it really ended up uh showing as the season because um when I first came in i was definitely having like a lot of cramps and stuff and like soft tissue issues and so i definitely um got better with that i've heard that the diet is always the hardest part. And if we've learned anything from early on in this conversation, it's that you're a bit of a foodie. You like to eat out. Um, what was the hardest thing to give up in season? Season, I would say just a lot of like 
candy and like snacks, like the zebra cakes and the honey buns and all those, you know. Yeah, they might be good at the time, but if you eat them and stuff, you know, it won't be good for you along the road. So I definitely have to get that up a lot. I loved zebra cakes when I was a kid, and I know that they're dangerous. So I've avoided them since then. Um, when I worked in Knoxville, there used to be this place that had like the cosmic brownies on full display and yeah 2018 i just blew up it was uh it was not good but props to you man being an sec receiver avoiding the zebra cakes doing the lord's work i love that hmm just how significant would a win wednesday be for this program it would be very big you know um we was just talking about it today all week um like nobody on the team has had a um won a bowl game at mizzou you know we had players go to bowl games and transfers and stuff but at mizzou like no player has won a bowl game yet under like as a team so this is definitely going to be a big accomplishment for us and i feel like it's just going to pave the way for even more recruits and more fans to you know be like why not mizzou that's a great point i remember the 2014 season and new year's day 2015 was the last bowl win i remember that because i myself was a student at the university of missouri and I was in the uh, fraternity house. I had it to myself, and I was watching the game uh, on my friend's TV, uh, waking up on, on New Year's uh, to see that. So it's been a long time. And you mentioned you know, putting that brand out there, getting the team you know, some national exposure, even if it's you know, a, a bowl game win over Army, a seven-win season. What is your message and your best pitch to recruits who may be looking at the Tigers program? What I would say is we have the facilities. We got the coaches. We just looking for the players, you know, we always, we always had the facilities and stuff like they're, they're brand new. So we got what every other place has like Alabama and stuff. We just need the players. You know, if you come in, you will play. If you work hard, you will get your opportunity. You know, that's what we're working to get. As you've seen, the recruiting classes have been getting better year by year. They see what's going on. So, you know, I feel like everybody just to hop on a train and, you know, come along. That's a nice hype train to have. You mentioned the facilities and you mentioned the coach. What kind of a leader is Coach Drinkwitz? No, he is a leader. He's a, uh, definitely a flimmy oriented guy. You know, that's what made me uh, come in. You know, everybody on the staff is like this. You know, I think everybody on the staff is dang near married. So it's, it's a family staff. Everybody can talk. To, I can talk to any of the coaches, really. I, I'll talk to them every time I see them. So. I feel like it's more of a family with everything together. So I feel like that's why a lot of people, you know, come to us and commit to us. And that's why I end up staying. Yeah. You've already mentioned your, your parents being inspirations to you and the coaching staff being family oriented men. Just how important is that dynamic to you? You know, it's very important to me because, you know, um, it was important to my parents as well. You know, they always knew the football aspect was going to work out, but it was really who was going to take care of me while I'm here by myself and stuff and look out for me, you know, and that's what the coaches, you know, that's what they're here for. That's what they preached about and that's what they are about. And so I definitely feel like for parents that are definitely going to be worried about their kids, you could drop them off here. You know, it's like a big daycare. Everybody's going to be taken care of. And so, like, nobody's going to be left out. That's good. And, and you were just one lone kid for, from Tulsa 
who stuck with this commitment and went up to Columbia, which is awesome. Uh, but you're, you're on a team now. You've got friends. Who are some of the people who have gotten closest to you? Um, definitely my friends, Chance, Chris, Elijah. I can name a lot of people, so I won't name everybody. But, you know, I talk to all. You never know what you will have in common with maybe, like, one of the special team lists. You know, I talked to them, too. So, you know, and we did a lot of team bonding, too, to, to get to know each other. So, you know, I just try to talk to all my teammates, even if it's just like a what's up or how you doing. I was talking to some, some of my teammates that I barely even talk about or talk to um, about the new Spider-Man movie. You know, you would be surprised with us. You have a lot of common in with people. Yeah. What was your takeaway from that Spider-Man movie? I loved it. I loved every part of it, you know. Um, definitely. Was, wait, have you seen it? I have. Okay, just making sure I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> I, I had a lot of movies. I was definitely happy to see Toby and Andrew, you know. It brought a tear to me. It brought a tear. It was a chill joy. I really loved it. And then it was a scene that Andrew Garfield had when he had um, saved Zendaya, or in this case, MJ. And it was a reference back to his old movie. And, you know, that's what did it for me. The tears start coming. I said, oh, Lord. So I definitely love the movie. I definitely. So you saw all those Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies leading up to this. Or did you when you were growing up? Yeah. I, um, I, I was a Spider-Man fan growing up, you know. So I'm a I'm the OG. I like Tobey, you know. That's who I just grew up with. That's why I started liking everything. So it was definitely good to see them come back. But, yeah, I watched all of them. This is my takeaway, and I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I think Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man was, the, I think, best developed. I think those are, like, in general, maybe the better made films. I think Andrew Garfield is probably the better actor of the three to play Spider-Man, but was just kind of thrown into eh, movies. And now you have Tom Holland, who's been Spider-Man in about six or seven different Marvel films. I mean, he is the icon at, at, at this point. He is the definition of Spider-Man, I feel. I agree with you as well. But I do feel like Andrew deserves more credit. Now, I like I like his Spider-Man character. You know, he's very funny. You know? I just like him. You know, I'm kind of mad he didn't get that third Spider-Man movie. But, you know, they put him in a new one, so we all good. I saw a Twitter rumor before we started this Zoom that Marvel is pursuing him to do some sort of projects moving forward. But that may or may not be true. I don't know. It didn't look like a reputable source, but one can dream. If someone mocks up a graphic and writes a headline, I'd, I'll give it some consideration. But man, that is cool. That's cool. Uh, you mentioned um, uh, some of your friends that you talked to. You said Elijah. Are you talking about Elijah Young? Yes, sir. I covered him when he was in high school um, in Knoxville when he went to South Doyle. And that was UT country and him committing to Mizzou. was like, whoa, really? Um, uh, how's he adjusted? I know he, he's gotten some carries this year. How, how's he been doing this year? Doing good. You know, he's just keeping his head down. He like, we all know the situation and stuff with uh, baby right now, but his time is definitely coming. You know, I just, I preach, you know, tell everybody just stay down. Your time is bound to come, you know, and then everything will work out in itself. What he's had to go through to get to where he is today. Um, great athlete good head on his shoulders. Um, 
He's a good guy. So I'm glad you guys are, are, are bonding. Uh, if you mention my name to him, he probably would be like, huh? But I was that guy at WBIR Channel 10 way back in the day, um, back when I was eating Cosmic Brownies. Um, JJ, what else would you like people to know? Um, let me see. You know, I don't really talk a lot and stuff. So I'm a very to my personal self, self um, but I can juggle. I don't have anything to really juggle with, but I love how to juggle before I, I came to college and stuff. But yeah. I remember you at Booker T. Washington High School making some pretty sweet catches with Gentry would throw it up. You made a couple of one-handed grabs back in the day. Um, one uh, state MVP, if I remember correctly, back in the day. That is right. Yeah, 6A2 football. That's something else. Well, JJ, um, thank you so much for your time. Good luck Wednesday. Yes, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed JJ's spoiler-filled thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home. And I'm meaning to talk about it. I think No Way Home is the ultimate Spider-Man film. Is it the best Spider-Man movie? I don't know. Um, this one was everything you could ask for. It was very Marvel, but at the same time, it really wasn't. It was epic in scope and scale when it wanted to be. But in the end, I'm going to try to filter out my spoilers, but in the end, all the consequences are put on Peter Parker and Doctor Strange. And I was criticizing the film in my head. There were a couple of plot holes and a few character decisions and motivations that were really unclear and not explained. And I tried to put that aside on first watch. I definitely want to go back and rewatch this film in theaters. I saw it in IMAX uh, in my hometown of Chesterfield, Missouri. It was fantastic. The crowd was electric. I unfortunately sat by this couple where the guy was mansplaining every callback and reference to previous Spider-Man and Marvel films, but again, just, I shook it off. There were a couple of references that went a bit too far. The film is very meta. It brought in some villains from previous Spider-Man iterations, mainly those Sam Raimi films and the Mark Webb films that starred Andrew Garfield. And there were a couple of fan servicey moments lines of dialogue that uh, I had my head in my hands. One in particular, I think, went a bit too far. Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin saying, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Which is an excellent line that was memefied uh, from the 2002 Spider-Man film with Tobey Maguire. Uh, the film really flirts with a lot of themes and could have gone in so many directions. I remember the final 30 minutes of the movie thinking the story was going to take one turn. The fallout of, of the final battle and conflict could have gone a completely different way, which I have to admit I haven't had a feeling in the movie theater like that uh, since Infinity War in 2018. I think my experience at the uh, Regal Cinema in 2018, seeing Infinity War on opening night, probably the best 
most electric experience I've ever had in a movie theater. I've seen I've had some good ones. I remember the the Dark Knight premiere. There was a Harry Potter premiere. Uh, Order of the Phoenix that I went to at midnight that was fantastic. I really I forgot that people go above and beyond to celebrate these film events. There were several costumes, Spider-Man costumes, a couple of themed costumes as well that didn't have to do with the Marvel universe that I I found really interesting. Um but in the end, I think what I applaud this movie for the most is it turns away from this shared Marvel universe and it puts all the struggle on the character of Peter Parker. And you could argue, again, as I try to filter out the spoilers, he ends this story with more problems than he started with. Which is crazy because at the end of Far From Home, he is outed as Spider-Man, Peter Parker is. The world knows his identity. And seemingly that problem is resolved in this movie but he still his life is so much worse so it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with this character from here if tom holland even returns and i think there were some creative sequences in the beginning of this film to show the passage of time and some quick conflict resolution the first 10 or 15 minutes of this film that i thought was really creative um i thought there were some good shots it was paced really well and it's a story and a script that honors its source material and respects the characters that it brings back and again i think this is as rewatchable a film as they come a lot like infinity war i just couldn't get enough of that movie three years ago and i feel that's going to be the same for this spider-man movie it's going to make a billion dollars even in a pandemic and people are going to keep going back because there are so many things that you can miss on first watch, and there are so many things you can take away from it. So I really recommend it. It's a good one. And that was the podcast. Thank you so much for J.J. Hester of Mizzou Football coming on, talking about the Armed Forces Bowl. Hope you all have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, and we will see you in the new year.